0: Genesis chapter 6, Wednesday night, um, teaching the youth, I, I did something that I haven't done in, in quite a while, um, actually, and um, it's something I, I like to do, uh, particularly with students, and, and that is I picked three volunteers, and I gave them 30 seconds to a minute to bring me anything in this room that they could find, Any, anything, didn't matter as long as it was appropriate, anything in this room uh, they could bring to me. And, uh, and I got some of the, the, the basics that I almost always get. One of them brought me a Bible. Um, one of them brought me a microphone. Um, but, but I had a first. And that first is a young man named Tanner picked Noah up, Noah Osborne up, and brought him to me. Um, on the stage. Now what I do with those is I take those objects and I teach Bible object lessons from scripture on those particular objects. And it's kind of fun because I don't get a chance to prepare and they try to stump me. And there for a minute I thought, what am I going to do with this guy he brought to me. I don't. I've never had that happen before. I've got something to teach on microphones and on the Bible, obviously. Even even asked for another volunteer who brought me a game set of dominoes, um, and so those are just a game. And so, but with it, just so happened though that the young man he brought me, his name was Noah, and so I was able to take that and teach a lesson on Noah, and it really got me to thinking. Uh, about the life of Noah and, and this morning we're going to talk about his life particularly but from a different angle than I did uh, obviously on Wednesday night um, but uh, a man wrote an article several years ago about 20 years ago his name was Lawrence Cutner, and he said this in his article that was po- posted in the on the Chicago Tribune website he said all young children want to please their parents Doing so brings them affection and attention on which they thrive. And I got to thinking that as, as, as a parent, but when I was a child and noticing that I worked with students for all those years, children tend to have a natural tendency to desire to please their parents. They, they enjoy pleasing their parents. That's why when they're really little, when they create something, they want you to see it. Uh, they're really proud of it. They bring it to you. Uh, they want and and I've got my youngest daughter who not only brings me things uh, to look at, but remembers what she brought me and wants to know where it's at. Okay, because they they enjoy uh, pleasing their parents and showing them things. And when I was a, a child growing up, I, I was the same way. I loved doing things. Uh, well, I enjoyed uh, pleasing my parents and having them say. Uh, They were proud of me and actually i'm 39 years old and I still rather enjoy when my parents tell me They're proud of me for something. I think that's uh, pretty common particularly with those who had good parents But as much as I desire to please my earthly parents and to make them proud I desire so much more uh, to live a life that is pleasing to god Because he's my heavenly father But so many times, that just seems completely impossible. It really does. When you think about it, how do we live a life pleasing to our Father in heaven when we know all of our mistakes? And when um, our enemy, Satan, would love nothing more than to keep throwing those up in your face and reminding you where you've let God down and all these types of things. And so how does one... How does one really live to please God? Mistakes and all. How do you live a life that's pleasing to God? I I, I think, um, I don't think. Scripture actually gives us a really clear example of a life that was lived that was pleasing to God, and that example is found in Genesis 6 in the story of a man named Noah, and from his life we can learn some secrets to living a life that is pleasing to God. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning in Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're only going to read down uh, through uh, uh, verse 9 um, this morning, but we're going to talk about some of the other texts as well. But in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, God said, Or when the Lord saw that human wickedness was was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. And now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase. Father, I pray that your word this morning would just speak to our hearts and that we would, as we're confronted with your word, that we would respond in obedience, however you choose to lead us, and that, Father, you would just use your word today to encourage us, to challenge us, to convict us, and to comfort us in our time of need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, most of us know the story of Noah, and and what leads us to the story of Noah was that in Noah's day, according to Scripture, the entire world had become totally morally bankrupt. Everyone lived for their own pleasure. They had their hearts turned away from God. They didn't really care what God was doing. They had no room in their life for Him, and, and therefore, God was displeased and he regretted creating mankind so much so that the word of God tells us that not, he he regretted it to the point that he was going to destroy mankind. As a matter of fact, he wasn't just going to destroy mankind; he was going to destroy the birds and everything, and just basically start over. Is the idea that we find in Scripture? But Scripture tells us a very important verse, in, in verse eight. And it says this, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord, or with God. And when we look at the life of Noah, we find, I think, three specific things about Noah that show a life that is pleasing to God, that we can apply to our own personal walks in order to live a life that's pleasing to our Father in heaven. First of all, that I want to give you this morning. The first one is, a life that is pleasing to God is one who walks with God. A life who walks with God. Now, God designed man to have a relationship with him. When he created man in the garden, his desire was to create uh, um, uh, uh, mankind in order to have a relationship with him. And that's what Adam and Eve experienced the Eve, for, for a time. We don't know how long... You know, some people say Adam and Eve were only in the garden a day or two. We we don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But what we do know is for a time, Adam and Eve were created for a purpose of having a pure relationship, a pure walk with God. And they experienced that and enjoyed that for a little while. But soon, sin entered into the equation. We know that story. We know the serpent um, um, she came to, to Eve and and persuaded Eve, and then Eve took the the fruit what they were told not to eat, and took it to her husband Adam, and persuaded him to eat of that and We know that when they ate of that, sin entered in and and they were eventually removed from the Garden of Eden and and all of that that took place. We know that story, but we also know that that not only did just sin enter in and break this relationship with God. By the time Noah comes on the scene, according to verse six, the word of God tells us that that it not just sin, but but mankind had turned so far from that walk with God. They had turned so far from that pure walk with God that that they were they had their hearts turned against God, and, and it caused God to be deeply grieved, and He regretted making mankind. But yet, even with all the evil that was around Him, even with with all the hearts of people turned away from God, Noah walked with God. No matter what else was going on around him, Scripture is very clear. Noah walked with God. I believe that is what God desires most from us, is a relationship. He loves us and is well pleased when we love him back. He created us for a relationship with him, to walk with him closely and intimately and personally. And a life that walks with him is a life that is pleasing to him. It, later on in, in the book of Hosea, the, the prophet Hosea wrote this in Hosea 6 6. Uh, it was a prophecy uh, from the Lord. It says, The Lord said, I do not want your sacrifices, I want your love. I do not want your offerings, I want you to know me. God's desire is for us to know him and to love him, and so a life that is pleasing to God is first and foremost one that walks with him every day. Now I want you to note something with me about walking with God when you look at the story of Noah. Walk with God even if you're the only one walking with God. I think one of the things facing the American Christian Church today is we see people quickly exiting true biblical faith, running away from true faith towards fables, and to stand up for the truth of God's Word, to stand up as a true believer in Christ, and to walk with Christ and say, no, we can't embrace that because that is sinful. We can't make that right because God has made that wrong. To do that has caused much condemnation on the true faith in our culture. Yet, a life that pleases God is one that walks with him even when no one else does. It is taking a stand for God and his word even if you're the only one taking that stand. That's not easy. When I was talking to the youth about that on Wednesday night, I was talking about walking with God and staying faithful and consistent uh, in a relationship with him using the story of Noah. And I said, that's regardless of whether or not anyone else at school is doing that. That's regardless of whether or not anyone else at school is doing that. We are to walk with God no matter who else is walking with God. Sometimes that means you have to walk with God by yourself. But a life that is pleasing to God walks with God, even if no one else does. And so the first aspect of a life that is pleasing to God is one that walks with Him, even if you're the only one walking with Him. Secondly... Not only do we find that secret, that a life that is pleasing to God is one who walks with God, but also by looking at the story of Noah, and we'll find this in verse 22, a life that is pleasing to God is one who trusts God completely. Not only do we walk with God every day, constantly, but we are to trust God completely in every aspect of our life. Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. God has come to Noah, and he's telling Noah, and you're going to, you can read that if you want to, starting in verse 9 of, of chapter 6, but God comes to Noah, and he begins to tell Noah all that is going on and all that's going to happen. He, he's, he's telling Noah that he's displeased with the entire world, that he was going to destroy them and to start over with just Noah and his family. Now, that in and of itself would have been mind-blowing. God coming to Noah and saying, hey, I'm displeased with the rest of the world, but I'm going to start over, and I'm going to use you and your family. He could have just said that, and that would have been mind-blowing. But that's not all he said. If you know the story, you know that God told Noah not only was he going to start over with Noah and his family, but he was going to do so by having Noah build an ark, uh, this big boat, and, and that he was also going to use Noah not only to save mankind, but he was going to use Noah to save all the animals. So you've got all of this that's kind of going on there, and and it would have been very easy as soon as God told Noah that for Noah to back up and go, "This is crazy," and begin to doubt. How is how are you going to do this? How how am I going to do this? There's no reference to Noah being a builder of boats. Now, for the last six months, I've been trying to remodel a house. And I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm really close. But, you know, every time someone would ask me, I was like, yeah, by this date, and then that date passed, and then it was by this date, and then that date passed, and then it was by this date, and that date passed. And that's because I'm not a professional. And so I've made mistakes, I've had to start over, and I've had to learn how to do some things that I didn't know how to do before. Okay? And here's God coming to Noah and saying, oh, I'm going to use you, but your only escape is to for it is through a boat that you're going to build that you've never built before and oh by the way not only are you going to have to survive in that boat but all the animals are going to have to survive in that boat and that could have very easily caused Noah to say this is crazy there's no way I can do this and so there it would have been very easy for Noah to not trust the Lord and all that and if that weren't enough there's some other issues that often are overlooked that could have caused Noah to, to begin to doubt and to stop trusting the Lord. For, for example, most people don't know, but, but according to Scripture, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, before the flood, it had never rained. Okay, think about that. Before the flood, it had never rained. Before the flood, God irrigated the land from, land from the ground up, not from the sky down. And so he's coming and telling him, oh, by the way, there's going to be this flood. I'm going to flood the earth. And Noah's like, flood? I'm going to cause rain to come. Rain. What's that? I mean, that's enough in and of itself. But but prior to the flood, God irrigated the land from the, from the earth up, not from the sky down, according to Genesis chapter 2. Here's another issue. Noah's residence was over a hundred miles from the nearest sea. Okay? Now that may not sound like much to you because we live in a day where you can build a boat and hook it up to a big enough truck and you can move it 100 miles if you want to. There were no trucks. <laughs> there was no way for him to build a boat that big and get it to the sea. Can you imagine as he's building that boat the ridicule that he would have undertook by the people who lived in that area? That'd be like us building a boat made for the ocean in Walika, Oklahoma. And people going, how are you gonna move that? Well, there's gonna be a flood coming. It's gonna cause the water to get this far. There's no way. And and, and I mean, we just think about that. A hundred miles. So even if you learn to build a boat, how is he gonna get it to the sea? And then here's another one. It took over a hundred years for him to build the ark. A hundred years. We don't even live that long. And that's how long it took him to build the ark. I've been working on a house for six months, and there's been a lot of days where I've just wanted to say, you know what, this ain't worth it. Can you imagine a non-professional boat builder spending 100 years on a boat, following instructions that God gave him, but he never doubted? No matter the fact that he had never seen rain, that he was over 100 miles from the nearest sea, the fact that it took him over 100 years to build it, Noah trusted God. Not to mention that Noah was 500 years old when he began to build it for over 100 years. Yet even with all of this, look at verse 22. And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him to A life that is pleasing to God is one that trusts him in everything. Even through all the adversity, all the discouragement, all the criticism, all the ridicule, Noah trusted God completely. And if you and I want to live a life that is pleasing to God, we have to be willing to, to trust him. When I was a young parent, I used to do something with Galen that would drive my choir ladies just in just crazy. just I could, you could see the look of horror on their face and I did it all the time, mostly to pester them, but also because I, I love the look on Galen's face. Now when Galen's 14 and I couldn't do this today to save my life, but when she was a baby, I would take Galen and I would stick her in my hand like this and I would lift her up and twist so she was just in the palm of my hand and I'm doing this when she was just a few months old and I'd lift her up one-handed and I'd twist her around and those ladies would put their hands out like, you're going to drop this baby and then I would twist her back around and bring her back down and she would just smile and I love that smile. I love seeing it because it let me know That she trusted me. Now I have a niece that's a year older, and I tried that with her, and it didn't work so well because. She didn't not only trust me, she didn't trust anybody that took her off the ground. Even when she would come up to me and, and I would pick her up and just going to put her right here, her eyes would get that big around and she had this absolute look of horror on her face because she didn't trust the fact that I wasn't going to drop her. But, but Galen I could pick up in the palm of my hand all the way up above my head like this and just bring her back and she'd just smile. Why? Because she trusted me completely. And just as I was pleased to see her trust me, God is pleased when he sees us trust him. Even in the adversity, even in the discouragement, even in the hard times or in the easy times, to trust God completely is to live a life that's pleasing to him. And then thirdly, the last thing, that we find from the the story of Noah when it comes to living a life pleasing to our father, is I believe that a life that is pleasing to God is one who worships him wholeheartedly. Now, if you need to flip over with me, but if you'll flip over real quick to to Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis chapter 8, I'm going to read a few verses there in just a second, but Noah lived a life pleasing to God because he lived a life that I believe was wholeheartedly a life of worship. When the flood was over, and Noah had sent out the second of the birds, we know the story, the first bird he sent out didn't come back, but he sent out the second bird, and the bird came back with a twig. He knew that the the flood was receding, and he was going to land on land, and they were going to come out of the boat. And look what happens immediately upon exiting the ark. It's found in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 8 says when, uh, sorry, let me look at it in verse 20 again. Uh, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, and I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. The very first thing that happened after they exited the ark, and I mean the first thing that Noah did after exiting the ark, was he built an altar and he made sacrifices to the Lord. And if you know much about the Old Testament, that was an act of worship. The sacrificial system was set up as an act of worship. So Noah lived a life of wholehearted worship. I think there are a few things in life that feel as good as receiving heartfelt praise and appreciation from someone else. And as much as from time to time we deserve to be patted on the back and we deserve to to have someone uh, praise us and appreciates us, no one deserves heartfelt praise and appreciation more than God because of what he's done for us. If you look at the story of Noah, Noah has just been delivered when everyone else except for his own children and the animals he took on the ark had been destroyed. And when we look around today as Christians, we've been delivered when a lot of people around us are still separated from God. And Noah, upon realizing that he had been delivered, praised God. He worshipped him. That's why we meet together on Sunday mornings, by the way. There's a lot of things that happen on Sunday mornings that are needed, and I'm not saying they're unnecessary. But the overwhelming reason why we meet on Sunday morning is to worship God for what he's done for us. What he do for us, he delivered us. And a life that is pleasing to God is one who worships God wholeheartedly. Now, notice, too, that when when Noah worshipped God, that it was pleasing to God. Look look at it again in verse 22. So he creates this this altar, and he he offers these sacrifices. And look at what it says in verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The pleasing aroma. Heartfelt worship is pleasing to God. So what is heartfelt worship. What does wholehearted worship look like? I mean, some would say, well, are you talking about singing? I, yes, I believe singing is an maybe an act of wholehearted worship, but wholehearted worship is way more than just singing. Some would say, is it is it praying? Is wholehearted worship living a life of prayer? I would say, yes, it is, but but wholehearted worship is more than just praying. Some would say, well, is it is it giving thanks to God and uh, being appreciative of God, to God of what, all he's done? I would say, yes, it is, but but it's so much more than that. True worship, true worship is the act of giving worth to someone, to attribute worth to someone. So wholehearted worship would be attributing worth to God with everything and in everything in your life. It would be to attribute worth to God in every area of your life, from the good times to the bad times, from the easy times to the hard times, from the mountaintops to the valleys, from the sun up to sundown, from dusk till dawn, we are to worship the Lord for who he is, for what he's done, and what he's going to do in every aspect of our lives. And when we live a life of wholehearted worship, we are pleasing to God because he alone is worthy of our worship. One of my favorite hymns in our hymn book, hymn number three, worthy of worship. Worthy of worship, worthy of praise. Why? Because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of what he's going to do for us.